Welcome to Mission Control, Product Design's podcast on everything business, tech, and marketing. Since 2008, Peralta Design has launched hundreds of successful brands. Join Ramon and the PD flight crew as they use decades of combined experience to tackle current events and interview guests while dropping valuable industry knowledge. At Peralta Design, we launch brands. But for now, let's launch right into this episode. Three, two, Hey everybody, welcome to Mission Control. This is your host Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design and we launch brands and we've got a special show today. It's it's my pleasure uh, to have the one and only Chris Dipentima of the CBIA. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Welcome. And of course we got Jorge. What's going on, everyone? And we've got Kevin on the soundboard here. So we're going to dive all into the CBIA, what it stands for, what it what it does, uh, who Chris is, and and uh, I'm telling you, he is a celebrity in the business world uh, here in Connecticut and beyond. I see him at all the economic outlook meetings and and so forth, and and we can't wait to dive in. But first. Uh, as as is our, our our usual routine, we commiserate here because our friend Danny Dimes has just fallen on hard times, literally without any contact. Oh, that was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> every time you see one of those non-contact injuries, you know it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, and but honestly, you know, for me, I think his career, at least as a Giants, done. Yeah. Um, you know, interesting. There wasn't anything I saw to to prove to me that. Last season wasn't a flash in the pan, and as much, you know, I think there's too many more promising prospects that are coming up in this draft that it doesn't make any sense to, to you know, to stick around. I think we cut our losses and we move on. Well, I, I do want to say that what what uh, I don't wish injury upon anyone, and I, I don't like the, the vitriol that's come out because, I'm you know, you subscribe to all these different Giants groups, and people are like, there are people, unfortunately, that are happy. Uh, that he got injured. I, I, I don't believe there's other theories that the Giants are tanking. And so that was part of the act or whatever. I, I don't go that, that far. Um, it does make you wonder what's happening with our conditioning coaches, because it seems like everybody is injured in some way or another or getting injured. Right. It's way more common than you think. Yeah. So um, it just leaves us with uh, DeVito, no relation to Danny. Okay. Play, plays like Danny. <laughs> it probably are about as successful. <laughs> Going back to your, as we were talking about your name origin, they probably are related somewhere. I'm not sure they are. Yeah. He Hopefully hasn't been Arnold to help him out. He hasn't been that much of a downgrade, you know, at least from the limited play you've seen between him and Daniel Jones. Exactly. Uh, although I felt like the team was played differently under Tyrod. I think they have. Oh yeah, Tyrod energy. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, so. It's just funny that you know, much a, a football team is similar to a business in that you have multiple components that all need to be firing at the same time to be successful, instead of just to exist. And it's rough to not have any of those pieces working at all. <laughs> um, so hopefully we can get that back on track. And uh, sometimes you need a reorganization for that to work. And I think that's what we're in the middle of. And the most valuable part of that business is Barkley now. So what happens to him, you know? Right, right. exactly. They, they just yeah. close it down for the rest of the season. Stay yeah. Healthy, or, do, you even, mean, do you even play him for the rest of the season at this point? They just put Breida out there? I mean, I don't know. How long was that? Wasn't that only a year, though? I thought he signed. Yeah, just, just <laughs> yeah, right? a free agent. So, 
He's a free agent, and if if Devito got hurt, he would be next in line. <laughs> Wildcat formation. If I was Barkley, he seems to be loyal now, but I would not stay with the Lions. I would just I would go to another team. Yeah, what's there for you? Why why stay? You know? Like, oh, you're not valuable to us, but you're actually the only good part of our offense. I know, and you're run you into the ground, and you keep hearing these. Uh, you know, when you talk about branding, because we like to mention that on our show, we launch brands, but his brand has like he's he's just too nice of a guy and and many people feel that's why he kind of didn't get the best deal all right um and he wears his heart on his sleeve like even now he's still with this conversation that he doesn't want to leave doesn't want to leave he, he wants to be a giant and it's like too good I, i'd have too Andy good, Reed on right. speed dial. <laughs> like hey i'm gonna be free I'm out. I'm and out. it's crazy because even, <laughs> even his dad didn't want to stick it. his dad is a diehard jets fan and, and he wouldn't even root for his own kid's team it was just like ah no i'm good on that he was in full you know jets regalia um and and left smiling that day uh, from the stadium but we we do wish him a uh, danny a speedy recovery um we bleed blue, you know, and, and all I can say is, like, let's hope that we get a good draft pick. Although, historically, the Giants don't give me confidence when they're picking guys. Yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see what, what's to come. But um, when we come right back uh, after these words, we're excited to uh, hear from Chris DiPatima from the CBIA. If you've got an innovation that you want to bring to the world, the first step is making sure you've got a great domain name. Visit shop.spacehost.pro to grab your domain name today and begin your new venture and your new business. Shop.spacehost.pro. And if you don't love me now, you will never love me again. I can't spell you saying, never break the channel. And if you don't love me now, you will never love me All right, everybody, and we're back. That was a little bit of uh, The Chain by Fleetwood Mac at the special request of our guest, Chris Depatima from the CBIA. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Chris, so the CBIA, you know, I'm reading here, it's fighting to make Connecticut a top state for business, jobs, and economic growth because a better business climate means a brighter future for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us, tell us how you uh, got to this to be the president and CEO. Uh, a long, twisty road. Uh, very, very. <laughs> this twisty. isn't what you wanted to do when you were a kid. <laughs> never, never thought about it. Nor were my two careers before this one any ones that I thought about. But uh, born and raised in Connecticut, lived here uh, all fifty-two years of my life, and uh, except for going away to uh, college for four years in Boston, and. Um, uh, came back to Connecticut, went to law school at Quinnipiac. Actually, my first year was at University of Bridgeport. I was there when uh, we sold the law school. Yes, I was sold like the, the law the school at Quinnipiac. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I have an interesting ties to University of Bridgeport. My parents met there. Um, my uh, They were both taking classes there. And my mother uh, was pulling out of the parking lot uh, at night or early, earlier in times when the sun sets here earlier in Connecticut and hit my father with her car. Oh, wow. uh, and that's how they met. And I'm, I, as I tell people, that was probably the first of many arguments that they've had <laughs> later on in that's life. That's such a funny, like, it's so kismet. Like, it's very like a Marty McFly moment. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's incredible. <laughs> Downtown Bridgeport, dark at night. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, I spent my first year of law school there uh, studying. And then, I, and, I've, you know, and you're vaguely, I mean, I mean, who knows? Because I can't say for sure, but 
we may have crossed paths at the Wheeler Rec Center, you know, on campus yeah, there. I was there. I, I, I was there in uh, 88, fall of 88. And I think the school got sold maybe 89 uh, uh, or 90. Yeah, uh, 90. 90. Yeah, yeah, when the school yeah. got sold, so later. Wow. So that's a, that's a good connection to Bridgeport and um, Italian background and, and, you know, just – any other lawyers in the family, or is that something uh, your my, parents pushed? No, my uncle was a lawyer. His wife became a, a, a appellate court judge, a chief justice for the appellate court here in Connecticut. Um, so grew up with some lawyers around me, uh, and uh, actually good arguments around Thanksgiving. Oh, always, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and with the non-lawyers too. It's always good arguments. So uh, I, I went to Boston College, and I uh, was an English major. And with an English major, you either become a bartender, or a teacher, or you better go to law school. <laughs> and so I said, I better go to law school. <laughs> right. uh, so uh, actually, the reason why I ended up going to law school was not only because I probably needed to find a career, but at that time. Uh, my dad, who was a serial entrepreneur, he bought and sold a variety of companies here in Connecticut, including an arcade and pizza place in Bridgeport at one time, uh, which had fond memories as a kid. Uh, he had started a company, a manufacturing company, and my older brother started working with him a couple months thereafter. And uh, it's all they ever talked about at the holiday uh, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas time dinners. And I said, there's no way I'm getting involved in the family business. So I went to law school to become a lawyer and make sure I didn't get involved in the family <laughs> manufacturing business. And I um, uh, went to Quinnipiac and I met my wife there actually too. Uh, so a lot of things happened between Bridgeport and Quinnipiac with uh, my parents and my wife. And then was uh, spent uh, eight years practicing law, mostly in the Waterbury, Danbury area to stay away from the from the family business. And that's where mm -hmm. I um, got a, an affinity for the business community. A lot of my clients were business owners, uh, either uh, buying companies, selling companies, looking for legal advice on how to grow their businesses and risk mitigation. And and so I did a lot of work with the business community. And I thought I'd be a lawyer forever, quite honestly. Yeah, you enjoying kind of like representing the, 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 the working man or the, the business, you know, the small business owner. Love it. Yeah. Love it. There's, uh, for a variety of reasons. Obviously, became a business owner myself. I did end up joining that family business uh, after eight years of practicing law. My dad, uh, as they say in Italy, you know, made you an offer that was too good to exactly. refuse. I, was gonna, I didn't want to bring, in, didn't bring any godfather references. No, you can. You can. It's very true. Uh, the family. You know. yeah, the family needs you. Uh, and I said, well, what, what, to get them out of prison or to run the business? No, no, run the business. Run the business. So. Why am I thinking of, like, my cousin Vinny now? <laughs> All the Italian <laughs> stuff, right? Uh, oh, so I came on board to the family business, and so I ended up uh, going from representing clients to being a business yeah. owner, leader myself, and uh, and ran the family business. I took over from my dad after being there for four years, so eventually became the CEO of the company and, and uh, ran it uh, for 16 years and then sold it to a very large uh, Fortune 500 company who I loved uh, and stayed on with them for four years before uh, changing careers again. I, I, so some people can't hold down a job. I can't hold down a career. Lawyer, <laughs> manufacturer, uh, nonprofit leader now. And I love, uh, obviously, respect people like yourselves who lead businesses, run businesses. Connecticut's the land of small businesses. You know, we have some blue chip companies here, but the vast majority of companies are, are family-owned or small businesses in Connecticut. And, uh, and I have a great respect for what they mean, not only to their employees, but to the communities around them and to our state. And so, yeah, for me, I, I do like advocating for the business community and the, and the little guy. Yeah, I th you know, we have a lot of uh, similarities. I met my wife at UB, so I didn't yeah. hit her with my car, but 
but I did uh, did meet her there, and and um, you know my I, you know my daughter was born there. I, I was brought back in seventeen to do the commencement um, speech, and my daughter was getting her master's, and my wife was in the audience. It was like this, like it was just surreal, you know. So Bridgeport. Um, despite everything that's happening right now, yeah. it, it's it's a it's, it's a special place. I think it's proximity to New York and and its roots and and manufacturing and just like people coming here to work. You know, a lot of a lot of the Puerto Rican community here come came through like Operation Bootstrap and came to work in a lot of the factories. So it's it's uh and I grew up in Providence, by the way. So Federal Hill wasn't too far away. <laughs> yeah, you know it. Yeah. So uh, a lot of Italians there and and um, you know. Uh, a lot of friends and and in that community but uh bridgeport had a lot of uh kind of um similarities to providence so i fell in love with it as well when i, when I came down here were there um i could imagine because I, I can share some of my own but my dad being a small business owner and, and kind of understanding cash business but not really understanding a lot of the tax implications or a lot of the other financial literacy side of it Looking back, what are some of the things that you're, you saw your dad or your family struggle with being small business owners that, like, you going to school and becoming a lawyer, you could come back and help them with when you took over? Yeah, a couple of things. Strategy was a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, as a serial entrepreneur, my dad liked to acquire. Yeah. Uh, but when you acquire eight different companies, <laughs> even though they're all manufacturers, they don't necessarily mesh with each other. Right. And you can put them in the same building and pretend they're all one company, but they have no synergies, a product line, the employees think they're working. Standardizations and things like that. Absolutely, yeah, processes. And yeah. so my... My dad was very much 50,000 foot, let's acquire this company, good revenue, we'll, we'll tap into their customers somehow, <laughs> uh, you know, a wing and a prayer. And usually for my dad as a serial entrepreneur, it worked out. Yeah. Uh, but as he built it, built this legacy manufacturing business, uh, which was his only legacy business because everything else he would churn in four, five, six years, um, it uh, it became more complicated because he was bolting a lot of things on that, that some didn't need to be bolted on and, and some were great synergies, but just not being optimized. So overall business strategy was a crash course I had to take in general. And I learned from visiting a lot of businesses, uh, joining a lot of organizations like Chambers that had classes on strategic planning. And, and, been, and I'm a big believer of consultants and third parties, brought in a lot of consultants during my time at, uh, at Pegasus Manufacturing, that was the name of our company, um, and uh, and really uh, learned on the job. I mean, from an on-job training, right? An English major, right. a trial attorney, <laughs> didn't know how to read P&L, didn't know how to lead individuals, didn't know how to develop strategy and execute. I had no business acumen whatsoever, except for advising clients uh, on risk mitigation as a lawyer. Uh, it was certainly on the job, but strategy was a big one, and which strategy was uh, metrics with to measure how we're doing against strategy. And, right. and my dad was very much, it was interesting when I first started working there, at the end of the month, my dad would walk around with a post-it note <laughs> that was folded in half, which had the sales for the month on it. And he'd That's show it he to, it. yeah, like three people, he'd show that. <laughs> and then that post-it note would you know, blow up like Mission Impossible. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, but the employees had no idea how what type of revenues no we had. No yeah. Not at all. Yeah. After I took over for him after four years later, and one of the first things I did is I just plastered a wall of metrics. And the first thing my dad, came, when he came back from Florida, he'd come back uh, for about four months. He's like, what the hell are you doing? What, what if the it? bank sees that? I go, I hope the bank sees that. They, they have our financial. If anyone knows how we're doing, it's them. Well, that, it's like the, the culture clash, too, like old school and new school. It's like, you know, you're like, he's old school cash. He, he knows how to make a sale or how to, you know, make a profit. But you're you're the guy 
the son that went, the prodigal son that goes to school and learns all these newfangled uh, culture and, you know, all this, all this stuff. So I could imagine that trying to mess. It was a clash. Yeah. Yeah, it was a clash. And I was like, hey, you hired me to do this. So I'm happy going back to being a lawyer and get out of the way and you could continue to run it and not spend any time in Florida or. Well, was there something that finally made him like click? Like, okay, let me, let me let him do his thing. Uh, I think, you know, he had to see some early success, yeah. and, and that was a big deal for us, and, and landing some new clients, uh, having a plan to grow the business, not versus just keep bolt adding companies and acquiring companies and bolting them on, um, organic growth, you know, versus what he was doing with a lot of, you know, external growth. So, uh, but then he eventually got it, and, and eventually we, uh, we created an advisory board that he was the chairman of, where he would come in once a quarter and just get an update on how the company was doing and really was able to step away completely, which I think once he got to play a little more golf and enjoy himself, he was like, wow, this is actually a pretty this good deal. This isn't too bad. Yeah. yeah, this is what I wanted. Yeah, because, I mean, my dad is still, he's still doing, like, uh, odd jobs and, you know, like 72, 73, and, and uh, that, that old school way, they just, like, staying busy. They just, like, working. They don't know what it's like to just take a break. I'll one-up you. My dad's 84, <laughs> turned 84 in June. And he's still lending money to high-risk individuals in Connecticut who can't get traditional financing wow. with the sale of the company, with the proceeds from the sale of the company that he got when we sold wow. in 2000. I'm like, why are you doing it? And, of course, all of his game. financial people are like, why are you doing it? It's like, I just want to be in the game. <laughs> I want to have to be in the mix. I want to go to lunch with people and hear their right. stories from businesses and how they're doing. Well, right. they'll tell you how they're doing. They're high risk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he loves having – he loves relationships. He loves people. He, he grew up in that time yeah. where – you want money, you, you brought the bank out to lunch and you said, hey, I need, you know, a couple hundred thousand yeah. dollars or a million dollars. There, there are some things, you know, it's a, it was a different business. My dad had an auto repair shop, but I learned from him, like, when we would go to a scrapyard, for example, on the way there, he'd pick up coffee and donuts, you know, and, like, bring it to the counter guy. And then, then when we got the parts, put them on the counter, there were a few parts that the guy didn't notice. You know, like, it, it's like you just build those relationships. So wherever he went, they knew him, but he always brought a sandwich or he brought him coffee. Just that old school relationship building way of doing of doing business. Um, so you're 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 running the business now, and and um, did you see like like I guess your corporate background brings in that M and A experience, but at at some point did you start planning like succession, you know, or you know how do you bring that up? Because it's typically like you take over, but it. it there's a lot of legality that takes place behind Yeah, that. yeah. There was a, the, uh, I had my older brother in the business too, mm -hmm. who'd been there longer than I had. And so there was the buyout of my father going on. Uh, but there was also some incredible growth that we were experiencing in the business, tripling our revenue, doubling our employment over a short period of time. And, uh, and we eventually got to the point where when I came on board, we were 40 mm -hmm. employees and we got to about 150. And I just felt, um, we can continue at, I think we would pretty much stall out at about 150, 200 employees, maybe 30, 40 million in sales. Uh, or um, if we wanted someone to be able to make this company uh, realize the true potential of this company, it was time to sell it to someone who had more liquidity than us, bigger synergies than us. Um, and it would be a way for my dad to co completely cash out, even though he wasn't involved day to day in the business, uh, completely cash out his, his uh, portion of the equity. And, um, and so it was, you know, a tough decision for me personally because I was uh, in my late 40s at the time, so still pretty young with a long horizon ahead of me. I thought, at least I thought I had a long horizon. And um, but I decided, uh, yeah, I want I want to see what this company can really do, and take away the family business ownership restrictions of it, uh, and uh, 
and let's so we made a list of some strategic buyers and um, we didn't decide to go with private equity even though it's probably a higher payout with the private equity because we wanted someone with synergies and uh, and I ran the whole process myself I didn't end up using a broker uh, although we had some broker friends and, and bank friends but I just <clears> ran the process uh, myself because of my background as a lawyer and the M&A process and we end up with a uh, a great partner in a, a, like I said, a Fortune 500 company based out of Missouri, who worldwide presence, 137 locations in most every country, 30,000 employees, seven billion dollars in revenue, and uh, and they were a great fit for us. They were uh, they really acquire companies and truly do leave them alone. Um, in fact, I after acquisition, I fought for more, uh, get involved with us more and align with us more. You know, rebrand us and do things like that, which most folks are like, no, they leave the old do, name. Yeah, yeah and I, I wanted that. I wanted us to be known as part of them, a big company that they are. Companies like Leggett and Platt, they're well, well known in, in betting, uh, automotive, and, and aerospace manufacturing is what we were doing. So it was uh, it was a great marriage. And uh, so I stayed on for four years, and uh, they're still in the company today in Middletown. And shortly after they acquired us, uh, they promoted me to run their aerospace operations globally. So I had the Connecticut location that I own, but also ran locations in France, uh, Washington State, and in San Diego. So I spent uh, three weeks a month uh, outside of Connecticut for a good four-year period of time uh, traveling traveling the world, uh, looking at over other locations. Wow. Wow. That's an amazing background. I mean, talk about switching careers, but just kind of, um, I guess, the evolution of the role and, and, and being able to oversee different operations. I, and now, <clears throat> if we bring it back to... The CBIA, how how exactly? Because from what I understand, it was a chamber. It was a Connecticut chamber. Andy was kind of giving me the history yesterday. Um, how did that opportunity get in your in your path? Yeah, so uh, my father was a member of CBIA before I even joined the organization as a small business looking for resources. And um, I was end up uh, joining the, uh, being asked to join the CBI board. Uh, so I was a member of their board for eight years from 2012 to 2020. Um, and so I got to know the organization very well as a board member. And um, and CBIA, you know, for folks who don't know, the Connecticut Business and Industry Association, what CBIA stands for, it's been around for 208 years. I mean, it's an old organization, and it was the state, state of Connecticut Chamber of Commerce. Uh, it originally started as a, as a state manufacturing association. Uh, and in 1971, the State Chamber of Commerce and the State Manufacturing Association merged, and CBIA came out of that merger. Um, and so CBIA is the you largest. And I, you and I were one years old, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, when they started. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, were, were the largest business association yeah. in Connecticut uh, with almost 4,000 members. We're the largest manufacturing association in Connecticut with about 900 manufacturing members. Or we're the oldest member of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, having been around for so long. Uh, CBI has been around longer than the U.S. Chamber of wow. Commerce has. And uh, so I just gained a lot of respect for the organization, not because of just its history, but because of the impact it was having when I was on the board. And uh, this opportunity came up where the CEO announced his retirement, my predecessor. And um, I believe for the first time in, in a long time in CBI's history, they, they end up looking outside. And they not only looked for the traditional uh, advocate lobbyists, uh, to be the potential CEO, but they also were looking for maybe operations folks. And I definitely wasn't a advocate, uh, lobbyist advocacy person, but I was involved in advocacy mostly around manufacturing issues here in Connecticut. And uh, but obviously I had the operational background, the operational chops, and uh, I was fortunate they ran an incredible interview process that really made me think. Why do I want to do this? Why do I want to switch careers? What impact can I have on CBIA and or Connecticut? Um, 
And uh, and during that process, I wanted the job more and more. Quite honestly, I was like, yeah, this, this is this is gonna make me spend more time in Connecticut, where my friends and family are. Uh, I love this state. I think I think I remember growing up in this state when it was just like the gold standard for the United States and probably the world as far as an economic powerhouse. And uh, I want to be part of bringing people together to, to make Connecticut return to that economic powerhouse. And I think we have some some tailwinds right now to be able yeah. to do that. Yeah, I mean. I- you know we're we're tapped into a lot of the um, chambers and, and nonprofits in the area, and it seems like workforce housing is an issue. Um, how how is the CBIA is the CBIA involved in any of that? Yeah, yeah. Post COVID, there's been many more social issues that have become economic issues, or what I've called social economic issues. Housing is one of them. Child care is another one. Uh, has been I've been spending a lot of my time on both both those issues. Infrastructure and transportation was always there, um, but more so now around uh, equitable access to you know public transportation and things like that. But to answer your question, housing uh, for the first time in CBS history, we got involved in housing last year, and really trying to drive uh, more incentives to get more housing developments. Uh, we, we continue to advocate for a carrot approach. Let's incentivize towns, let's incentivize developers. There's some folks who want to see more of the stick approach, which is if you don't comply with a certain amount of affordable housing, we will take funding away from you as a town or, or, or you won't get projects as a developer. So we're, we're, we're going to have another agenda item this year. We'll probably have a couple agenda items. Our agenda will come out in January for the session. And we're going to focus on things that will incentivize uh, more first-time home buying, so tax credits and incentives for first-time home buyers and first-time renters. We lose 35% of our college grads every year in Connecticut. They leave the state. University of Bridgeport is a great example that educates a lot of people that come not only from outside Connecticut, but from outside the United States. And if we could hold on to more of them, we'll we'll be able to grow our population even faster than we have been able to. And so that's a big thing for us is making it easier for those folks in a a high housing state like Connecticut, although not as high as New York or Massachusetts, um, make it a little easier for those folks to buy their first apartment, first house, or be able to rent their first apartment. Yeah, because it's like uh, it used to be, well, we want to keep the talent here, but the, the, the conversation, you know, when you think of like why GE left and, and they, they went to Boston and it was, you know, whether it was taxes or whether it was a talent pool, keeping the talent pool now, is it seems to all center around housing and that like there are people that are making 30 bucks an hour that are homeless, you yep. know, they have jobs, they just can't afford the rent. And 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 uh, or afford to buy, then you're seeing like malls now, like Milford Mall. I think is going to be converted into some apartments, and and I think uh, there's also that not in my backyard thing because I think there's um, a branding issue when when you think of affordable housing, it unfortunately brings a stigma of you think of some people think of housing projects, and so. I'm starting to hear people like Paul Lavoy and others talk, like mention um, the chief manufacturing officer mention um, calling it a for, uh, workforce housing, not affordable housing. Yeah, we've been calling it opportunity housing. Opportunity housing, right? So it is a branding thing because I think that there are certain words that trigger memories of, uh, you know, like the PT Barnum projects or you know the institutionalized warehousing of of working working class people, and now you can't really. When you when you look at workforce housing, they are single family homes. They're townhouses. They're you know they're they're um, dignified living quarters that that just kind of align better with with the what the wages are. 
wages and what what some young people maybe want. Yeah, you know, exactly. Not, not everyone can afford to live in New Haven or Stanford. Right. You guys got a, uh, a beautiful example right up the road from you here in Oxford, uh, Quarry Walk. Quarry Walk's amazing. Yeah, Tom Haynes, what he did over yeah. there, and um, and the fact you know if, for those who don't know, it's basically uh, two hundred plus apartments, residential, uh, but it's also got retail, mm-hmm. it's got restaurants and bars, it's Walking got a bank, trail. it's got Griffin Hospital has a satellite. I mean, it's a yeah. small town. Yeah, and uh, and Tom has an opportunity, and, and I hope there will be an announcement in the next couple of months to do an even bigger project in Seymour by yes. the train station yes. where about 2,000 housing. Um, that's what we need. Those yeah. are the things we need to incentivize. Our young people, and Tom's actually got older people living there too. They <laughs> yeah. want that, you know, yeah. uh, live, work, play. Right, right. Because the boomers, as they, as they call them, um, they're also, they, they're downsizing from the homes maybe where they raise their kids in and, and, and want, want to be able to walk to lunch or walk to the bank or what have you yeah we love tom and we think he you know he's from what we understand there are plans to replicate that around the state so we're all about optimism for the state um what's your view uh from from uh the business community standpoint because we i think the state gets a lot of snarky comments on linkedin and and people think of it as like a tax you to death kind of state um what's your outlook for for business in in the state uh, there's more optimism than I've seen in a long time yeah. from the business community in Connecticut. There's a lot of energy, right. and, and I, there's data points that I can point to. I mean, are, are the survey responses that we get, there's more positivity in the survey responses. For the first time in a long time, we do an annual business survey that we released in September. For the first time in a long time, there was more favorable economic outlook for Connecticut's economy than when there was for the national economy in that survey response. We're seeing it in the energy of our events. We're, yeah. we're seeing record attendance at our economic conference in September, our manufacturing event in October. I mentioned we've got our an- big annual meeting next Wednesday, uh, and we've got you know potentially 800 to 1,000 folks coming for that. It's uh, People are really energized. They love being yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, I think COVID is kind of because of the work from home environment or more hybrid environment. Uh, people really crave networking opportunities mm-hmm. more so. Um, and they're really enjoying the positive conversation that's happening about Connecticut. And it all started with getting our fiscal house in order. You know, for those of us who lived here from 808 to 18, it was like, geez, another year of a budget deficit. What's the, what's the tax hike? Who, who are they going to tax? Right, is it right. going to be businesses, individuals? You know, and it was just basically everybody. Uh, you couldn't find yeah. enough people to tax. And then we went through so many cycles of that. We call that the lost decade from 08 to 18 because we had no population growth, really no economic growth. But post-COVID, the way the governor uh, handled the, the uh, pandemic, the way the business community rallied together, the way our residents rallied around it. Uh, we've had, a, like I said, a wind at our back where we've seen economic numbers where we're in the top half of the country. Uh, we're seeing the state's fiscal house in order now where we actually have four years of surpluses and we make critical investments in housing, childcare, transportation, education, nonprofits, all the things that we didn't fund for a long time in Connecticut. And uh, that's bringing that optimism that we've seen. And we just had some good news you know, last week with the report that came out that, that 57,000 people moved to Connecticut last year, the majority coming from New York and Massachusetts. And we have a real opportunity to continue to that growth. And that's that's that you want to be part of a winning exactly. team, right? We don't want to be part of the Giants. We all want to be part of a winning team. Ouch. <laughs> that Super Bowl is in the far <laughs> distance. I keep playing the, the helmet catch and the Manningham catch all the time. No, that's great stuff. I mean, I, I am optimistic and, and bullish and, and feel like um, whenever there's uncertainty, there's more business creation. So I'm I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm tapped into all of these different accelerator programs. And it's really I mean, that's always, you know, we have a strong passion for encouraging those 
those people that are venturing out to start businesses in the state. Um, I, I, I agree that, that uh, there's a lot there's a lot of good news. Kev, you were just talking about um, you were in discussions, you know, as you as you're getting more involved in Seymour um, and you had to correct somebody and say, hey, we're, we're not you know, we're, we're at a surplus, you know, like we fix that. Yeah, that's it. I think it's a lot of just things that you repeated over and over again. But yeah, like, you like mentioned, sound bites. It's like, yeah, OK, there were those bad years, but actually currently like we've been doing great. There was like a yeah. tax cut, I think, recently where it was like it wasn't huge, but we're, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, big personal income tax cut last year, the, the first one in the state's history since the income tax passed in 91. And now if you're making $250,000 or less, your your tax uh, here in Connecticut is more in line with North Carolina and some of the states mm-hmm. where people are like, oh, everyone's, you know, everyone's moving there. Everyone's going there. But, <laughs> you know, that that's a good start. And, you know, I, I think if there's any negativity or frustration now, it's it's people just want to get there faster and they want more of, and we still have limited resources, mm-hmm. just like a business, you know, business that went through a turnaround, it finally generates some profit. There's only so much investment you can do, but you have a lot of investments to make because you haven't invested in your business in a 10 year period of time, right? So you, you start to spread those investments like peanut butter, try to satisfy all the employees <laughs> from the front office to the back office, uh, but, and everyone wants more of, more of, and, and we're getting there. And we just gotta make sure we maintain our fiscal house and our fiscal discipline, yeah. and we'll be able to make these critical investments in, in, uh, in Connecticut and continue to change this, you know, that old perception, as Kevin right. said, but really that the new Connecticut the, is a lot of opportunity here in the state, a lot, a lot of tremendous opportunity. Absolutely. So why don't you um, kind of tell us a bit about the CBIA, um, who, who ideal members look like, um, maybe some of the services that are provided and, and how can people find out more information about it? Yeah, so, so CBI's core mission since 1815 has been to advocate on behalf of the business community for a, a better business climate with the, with the premise and most everyone understands if you if the businesses have a favorable climate they make investments, the economy grows as the economy grows, the state revenue increases and then the state can make investments that are critical to our residents. Again, education, transportation, all, the, all those things that every resident wants and so you know the best ways to get some of the more progressive ideas through is to have a pro-economic, pro-business agenda. And so our, we've got a, a staff of lobbyists in our team and a communication team where we just spend time advocating, lobbying for the business community. Uh, and then the other half of our business in 1980, CBI created another side of the business, was, which was, hey, we're lobbying for a more favorable business environment in Connecticut and keep business costs down. But we've got all these thousands of members that have joined. Why don't we figure out a way to offer products and services to those members, 90% of which are 100 employees or less? Mm -hmm. So most of our businesses are small businesses, although we have all the blue chip uh, companies as members like Sikorsky and Pratt & Whitney and Electric Boat. It's what products and services can we we leverage because we have this massive pool of 400,000 employees in our CBI membership uh, that we could offer those small businesses that they can't get because they're not a Travelers or the Hartford or a Cigna. And so we offer things like medical insurance, dental, workers' comp, uh, energy programs where we aggregate businesses together to get them lower energy costs, which is a big deal in Connecticut. Healthcare and energy and workforce are the three major things we hear when we talk to small businesses of the of the f- uh, financial sh- uh, things that they're really struggling with. Um, and then we offer education, right? We offer events like the Economic Conference or the Manufacturing Summit or a Workforce Conference or an HR Conference where we bring businesses together so they can hear about the latest laws or the latest best practices 
is like you're doing with this podcast and, and really the education and awareness. Um, and then every CBI member gets access to an HR hotline uh, because HR is usually a big thing when yeah. in a state where we compete on the knowledge, innovation, and talent of our workforce. So it's, you know, what, what's the latest thing around culture? What are companies doing around culture? Can you help me with my handbook? Uh, you know, I've got, uh, I've got I'm trying to do some hiring things. What are some best practices around hiring? So every CBI member has access to literally an HR attorney who works on staff for us. And um, wow. and that's big for those small yeah. companies, especially those under 25 that don't have an HR person. So we offer a lot of products and services for companies to keep their costs down. And then at the same time, we're advocating uh, for an environment here in Connecticut that will help uh, companies be more competitive, lower tax climate, less regulations, uh, you know, things like housing, child care, so you could get more people back to work. Okay. And then it's uh, membership Similar to joining a chamber, there are like annual dues and things like that. Yep, very similar. And the, and the cost structure is very similar to a chamber. And we work very closely with all the chambers. Bill Purcell down yeah. here in the Valley Chamber is a, he's a CBI member, uh, the business, uh, Bridgeport Regional Business Council, Dan, doing a mm-hmm. great job there. So we actually bring all the chambers together once a month so the chamber executives could talk to each other about awesome. best practices and what they're doing. We CBI is a big convener. We bring a lot of groups together, and then we kind of step out of the way and let them talk to each other about what's happening in their industry, whether it's manufacturing or the chambers, bioscience, healthcare, and so that they can really learn from each other. Because the one great thing that we have in Connecticut is relationships, and people are very much transparent with how their businesses are running. That's how I learned about manufacturing. If it wasn't yeah. for that transparency and that willingness to help, I would have never been successful in manufacturing because I wouldn't have known what good manufacturing looks like or what bad manufacturing mm-hmm. looks like. And we do that a lot at CBI. We bring people together from the same industry so they can learn from each other and from different industries. That's awesome. Um, so how do you join? Uh, yeah, go to our membership page if you want, cbia.com. It's very, very simple. Uh, and uh, reach out to one of us there, or you could join right there online at cbia.com, and you can also learn about all our services on our webpage, too. Excellent. It sounds like an amazing organization, and, and they've got a great leader in you, that's for I sure. I appreciate that. I, I'm just good because my team's incredible and because the business community is engaged. Yeah. And, Scott, next time you're going to get mic'd up, so just get <laughs> – just, blowing up your spot here <laughs> um, well Chris thank you for, for coming in and we appreciate you making the trek down and uh, it gives us confidence to know that someone like you is leading the CBIA and, and is championing for, for business in Connecticut well, thanks for all you guys too too alright all right, everybody this is Ramon Peralta with Peralta Design and until next time please remember to like subscribe and share our show that's Mission Control on all your favorite platforms